Yeah, man. Here with the fat mole. Fat mole. <laughs> the nine. <laughs> welcome back, welcome back. Oh, that was good. How are you today, fine? Well, sir? thank you. Spectacular as always. Spectacular. Oh, Indeed. Yeah. What seems to be the subject for today? Um, I don't know. What do you feel about railway tracks? All right. Yeah. They're, are they made of iron or steel? Mm, you know, there's going to be, like, imagine just, like how many people are listening going, you dickheads of course they're made of steel like what the fuck um alternately in an alternate universe yeah. there's probably a bunch of dudes going they're clearly made of iron which anyway <clears throat> sorry um metalliferous knowledge it's not in my uh it's not in my scope so i'm gonna plead ignorance but what i do recall when i was a kid was getting out of exploring on the railway lines and they had beautiful hardwood sleepers bedded in gravel beautiful orange colored steel come iron <laughs> whatever that was, uh, rails running along them. And we could explore those as long as we wanted in either direction because this rail line ran past the back of our farm because it was actually a magical highway between farms. Uh, On either side of the rail line would be different properties and we'd cut through and some people would be growing crops and some would be running cattle. And, you know, between the ages of 7 and 12, we had a license to go anywhere. You could go anywhere you wanted. It didn't matter whose farm it was occasionally we saw farmers oh, yeah. but they they were only ever happy to see us um tom sawyer and huckleberry finn were like amongst my earliest books that i read so as far as i knew boys were just meant to be out adventuring and that's exactly what we did and it was it was great man i had so much freedom as a kid i gotta say it is a shame that it's 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 not the same for our kids well yeah we've had this cultural uh change where we we seem to think that children can't be out by themselves you know i don't know culture of fear yeah it's just i don't know we had such good times as kids and uh yeah admittedly we got ourselves into some vines there was one time my brother and i got stuck in a stampede of uh cattle uh we were going it was one of these farms running off the um rail line and we hadn't been on it before had a patch of scrub that led out onto a plane and in the patch of scrub um i we saw some nice rocks lying in the ground and we picked those up and started throwing them um for fun and they fell and startled uh, a herd of brumbies as you do and these brumbies ran past us from the left and and went right down that way and we, we thought oh geez glad they went that way and off we went and crossed out onto a grassy flat, which was there was a mob of about 300 head of cattle down on the right, and we were going to cross over it to get to the other side. Um, the Brumbies ran down through the scrub and around the back onto the plain and spooked the mob of cattle. And so as the Brumbies came around, they herded oh. the cattle, and the cattle started st- galloping full pelt across the plain. And my brother and I are halfway across this plain, uh, and there's 300 cattle just <laughs> the ground was you could feel the ground shaking and there was a, just a gum tree that was fallen over um maybe i don't know 15 meters in front of us and my brother said run let's go and we both ran and jumped into 
like the um, bows of the uh, of the limbs of this tree as cattle came roaring past us and just then sat there in between the main trunk and, and, and a big branch just watching hundreds of cattle go past. And then we looked at each other and like at that moment we felt like we were in a, a fucking Western film. Like we'd seen this shit on TV and here we are and the ground's fucking shaking and clods flying Yeehaw! up out of Exactly, man. It was exactly that feeling. When we got out of that, we were like, let's not tell mum and, and like got out. and. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. No, no. We didn't tell Probably mom. not the best plan. Didn't tell mum. We had to tell mum about the time I dropped him off the cliff. Um, that was because he went and got a concussion. But, you know, the, the stampede we got to keep to ourselves. But uh, I tell you, man, yeah, that was a, that was that was a frightening experience. And without being quick-witted, yeah, there could have easily been one or both of us trampled to death in that instance. Yeah, spoiler spoiler alert, I made it. I'm all yeah. I'm all good. Yeah. But uh, you know, the railway line well, in that respect was a, a great way to explore. Um, and the fact that it's been opened up as a public walking trail now means that opportunity still exists. In fact, it exists in a safer more tamed more approved manner than it did in in the 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 ne'er-do-well uh sort of -of will-o'-the-wisp manner in which we we just drifted across the landscape like fences meant nothing to us nothing no i mean no yeah we just went anywhere and everywhere no such thing as boundaries not, not for two. The world was our oyster. Not for roving kids. Yeah, nah, we could, we could go anywhere. There. As long as we were home by dark. Yeah, obviously you had to be home for dinner and bath, and had your, we had afternoon chores that needed to be done. So that was like you, you didn't uh, shirk on your duties, otherwise you'd, uh, you'd cop it. Often you'd cop it anyway. So you know it just was what it was. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you uh, took your luck. Develops character. There was there was some days where I don't, I don't even know what shit was going down with my stepfather, but I just knew I was going to get a beating that day. It's like it doesn't really matter. I've just fucking all right. Just beat me then. Like come on, you, know, you can see you want to. So right. good times, funny people. Yeah. I, well, you know, it's just god damn it. When we went to school, the world's definitely changed. When we went to school, the teacher could beat you, and if that didn't work, they could send you to the principal, who could also beat you, and you know, yeah. and and they did. <laughs> it didn't make much difference for me yeah. though. Uh, no, me I, tell you, I tell you though, there was one time uh, that I one time that I evaded getting uh, the cuts from the principal. We were in the second grade, and I had heard, overheard some older boys flushing another kid's head down the toilet, and the kid sounded so traumatized by it, screaming, and to me, I was like, oh, that's that's frightening stuff. I, I, I need to get ready for this. So I went and told my mate Daniel about it, and, and uh, he's like, oh, man, really? That's what they do? The older boys do that to you? Oh, what are we going to do? I said, I've got a plan. It, the kid was upset. Because it was like a whole new experience for him. So all we've got to do is basically attenuate ourselves to, or whatever a year two kid would say, but basically attenuate ourselves to these circumstances. So we both went into the toilet. He was in one cubicle and I was in another. And we're calling out to each other. All right, three, two, one, you got your head in? Yep. He's like, yeah, I got my head in. I got my head in. And then we're both flushing the toilet on our heads. When a teacher walks in and sees the pair of us standing there with their heads in the toilet, flushing them, and she's like, what the hell are you two doing? 
I explained that we, we're um, oh. we're getting ready for the bullies because they threatened they were going to flush us down the toilet. But if we'd already flushed ourselves, it wouldn't matter. So she sent us to the principal. Exactly. I remember standing there in the principal's office, dripping toilet water on the floor of his carpet. And he looks at us and he says, after I tell him the story, he says, boys, ordinarily I would have to punish you. And he's got his cane in his hand and he's slapping it in his other palm. But he says, looking at the pair of you standing there, I'd say you have punished yourselves enough already. He says, just go back to class, but you make sure you tell everyone that, that I gave you six of the best. And so we went back to class. First thing we did when we got in was said, Mr. Cedar told us to say that he gave us six of the best, but that we'd already punished ourselves enough. <laughs> and you know what? I never, I never, I never got my head flushed by any of those bullies. I think maybe they just thought I was some crazy, like who is this psycho kid? He's flushing his own head and I'm getting me made to do it too. I've normalized it. You can't, no. You know, like those crazy fucks who they punch themselves in the face before a fight. Like, come on, come on, come on. I'm there flushing me head. Come on, then. What are you going to do? <laughs> Bring your A game. Oh, I never. I had most of the, 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 the usual torments at school, but not the toilet. Yeah, yeah I never got, had my head flushed. There was one torture method they used that, it really worked. So they'd knock you to the ground and then two people would grab your arms, one each. Two people would grab your legs, one each. And then the two people with your legs would stand on either side of a pole and then they'd pretend that you were a battering ram. Oh, what? Get out. No way. How is that a game? How did that even happen? Oh, it, it, they, they they found it amusing. Oh it was God. rather painful. I yeah, but oh my man, far out. Okay, oh, you're reminding me of some of the uh, roguish games that we would play amongst the boys in high school. I'm loath to even describe some of the terrible things we would do to each other. I uh, yeah, it just it was wrong. It was all kinds of wrong. The culture. I mean, okay, so one one game we used to yeah. play, like one one that was like moderately acceptable, uh, was just stacks on which is just where someone would happen to fall over and during a, uh, any kind of game. Uh, and then if there was anyone near enough to jump on top of them before they could recover their position, that person could yell out, stacks on! And then it was the impetus of everyone nearby to come and join the stack. And the stack could get 14, 16 boys high, which was, and each boy would belly flop onto the pile, oof, oof, like, like, yeah. like onto a trampoline. Um, so if you're on the bottom... Yeah, man, substantial internal injuries could occur. <laughs> so, yeah, like people did kind of. Oh, was, you're forgetting suffocation. That was always a risk. Oh, and one time I jumped and uh, my thumb bent right back, and I actually uh, had some tendon damage. Man, I went to the, I went to the doctor about it, but it was just a severe sprain. It was orchid. I thought it was broken, but yeah, that was just such was, and that's just you know minor break between you know periods freaking four and five uh, on any given day at the school environment that we were in but that was that was stacks on there was you know the wrestling and the bastardization and uh i mean the weapons i mean man our school was the first to have a permanent police officer 
attached just stationed and they're still they're still like you know you go to school as your teacher teacher there's your police officer then there's a tuck shop lady you know it was uh, it's a pretty full-on environment and i actually remember reflecting with a peer who you know went there with me years later we're sitting back thinking about uh the, the crazy stuff that as a cohort we got up to in high school and what we realized is we were actually amongst a group of kids who had really neglectful parents so there was just a swathe of us who had really shit parents, um, distant parents, parents with dr- drug problems or severe poverty or who'd been through, you know, severe domestic violence situations. And basically we were living it tough. I mean, all of us kids would just get together at each other's houses and there'd be like 200 of us. We'd all have alcohol. We'd all have drugs. We'd all have a ridiculous amount of, well, we thought fun, but it was crazy. And, and to be honest, not everyone even survived, man. Like people died at parties and it, 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 it happened. It was just kind of accepted that you might not make it through this shit. And whoa, apparently like, and and yet somehow we did like rolling the dice thinking that we were invincible. Mm. I'm a firm believer in the fact that it was that belief allowed us to survive just the car accidents and the ah wow yeah it's good to be a survivor though ah to be long in the tooth to reflect back on the winters of yore (laughs) join us as we travel into the mysterious adventures who would have thought that we would have made it this far when i was 16 and you were 18 neither of us thought we'd make 30 we had no intention no. of that. That was that was like we'd given up on that concept. Well, it didn't sound like much fun. Well, if life had continued under the experience uh, that we'd had it up to then, you who would want to live to thirty? Like it was, uh, it it was pretty miserable for a lot, for all the fun of of us laughing at it. Thank God we found a whole new way of living because the the shit Indeed. the shit that was a partly handed to us, but that we chose for ourselves uh, straight up the hand we dealt ourselves. It was a pretty shitty set of circumstances, you know, but we learned from it. You live and you grow. That's it. Or, Adversity. or like some of my friends, you don't live and not grow, I suppose. So, I mean, not everybody made it. So, you know, uh, like I, we were looking up a friend earlier today um, who I haven't seen for 20 years and we weren't sure if he was dead or in jail or where, you know, I, I might have found My money would have been on dead. I might, I might have found him, I might have not. Um, you know, and uh, that's just an oddity from, yeah, when you come from, from those circumstances, but it's good. Oh, man, I just, I still have contact with lots of folk from back in the day, and it's, it's cool. Knowing people for, like, decades is awesome. You know, the people that you've known for uh, multiple decades are, like... They're a link to uh, your past. A rare treasure in life, eh? Yeah. Even the nemeses, you know? Even the assholes. You're like, you know, because there's some assholes you just know for a long time. You're like, ah, you still live. Why? Uh, you know, and it's like in a Disney <laughs> landscape. That's cool. Like, you've got to have villains. Someone's got to live in that big shady house. Oh, well, there are plenty uh, of villains. <laughs> uh, no, God, God provides a boundary for us to break down all the walls. And, you know, the most uh, valuable tenet of the Christian faith is that capacity for forgiveness. It's a game changer. It resets um, 
it resets the power dynamics of, of human relationships. But I've found that even, even forgiveness needs to be brought out seasonally. You can carry such great hurts that you heal from them. Uh, and then uh, you go through different cycles in life and you may need to heal again from those said hurts. So I've, I've found forgiveness is a, a journey and it's participatory. You know, you, you need to be willfully participating in it. Thank goodness for that. Indeed. Without forgiveness, we wouldn't forgive ourselves for, you know, our failings uh, and then be able to move on from it. If you had And to. there's been plenty of them. Oh, yeah. Well, there sure have. Yeah. You know, they say that you learn more from your failures than your successes. I've had more failures than successes, so I guess I'm really wise now. Hey. It can be said I've had nothing but failures, so I should be pretty wise by now. We need to value our failures for what we've learned from them um, because it's special knowledge that you gained and you paid the price with the pain of that experience, so value that knowledge. Um, and, uh, and synthesize it. And They're all steps it. amongst the stairs, man. Steps amongst the stairs. Yeah, now you're tripping me out with that. I'm going to unpack that. Steps amongst the Is the step like the verb of action for, and I'm the participant in the stairs? Is the step, <laughs> is the stair just like a, 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 a homophone? And it's not like stairs. It's like stairs with eyes. Steps amongst the stairs and there's people watching wow what's going on there molly <laughs> you're going down a rabbit hole buddy i was just trying to unpack <laughs> you took me on a journey there i was just trying to unpack it anyway yeah steps amongst the stairs you know i've never heard that expression oh. before ed kowalski ed kowalchik lead singer from live i love that band like well the only time i've seen him was when I went with you to see him solo. He was in Brizzy. That's right. He came out. Uh, at, well, he came out as a soloist. I'm looking forward to them. Hopefully, they tour again. That would be great to go and see. They are. I mean, there uh, was it. Was it 1995? They released Throwing Copper. It was somewhere around there. You know, that still stands as one of the greatest. I can check. You look that up. Yeah, fact check. That stands as one of the greatest rock albums of all time, certainly of that decade. But it's it's that's just it's one of those albums you can put on and go on a journey, and every song takes you somewhere on this. It's got an overarching feel throughout the whole thing. It's a really really good rock album. And although I wasn't like I, I listened to live from yeah early on, but I never subscribed to Pearl Jam at the time. But I have to say, if you wanted to find a comparable album to Live Throwing Copper, I would suggest Pearl Jam's Ten. Twenty sixth of April, nineteen ninety four. Ninety four, right? Yeah. Well, it must have been ninety five when I by the time I got the album. I've followed their journey since then. When you listen to music, how important hey, are, is, are the is the lyrical content to you versus the song do you listen to music and not listen to the lyrics just jam out to the to the songs or do you listen no it's got to be all the lyrics you like you know you like to know what's being said definitely yeah i'm 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 a lyric guy when i listen to songs i, I like to listen to the story and empathize with it or unpack it uh and that's I'm what just... made live such a, a phenomenal band you could sit there and you could you could analyze their metaphors for yeah. hours yeah good rich poetic stuff yeah and you have the capacity uh to have lyrics come up alongside a song you're streaming these days which is okay but there was something about sitting and listening to an album 
and folding out the booklet that came with it and reading the lyrics as yeah. they were graphically presented by the band. Sometimes it'd be in the handwriting of the songwriters. Other times, uh, you know, it, it just it would it would add to the experience. It was uh, a, a little more of the product than just the music itself. You know, I used to love that because I started off using cassette tapes and taping a song from the the radio, as you would, and then rewinding it, listening to it writing down the words, letting it go, then rewinding it and getting the words. And it was a painstaking task to get the lyrics for a song mm -hmm. written down so that you could learn them. I know. And, then, how and then they brought out CDs. How little people can understand the world before the internet. Like those who, you know, those who are born in this century. And, you know, goodness me, you, you, there are people walking around, including our kids who are born in this century, and, you know, they're in their 20s proper adults we'd made people by then so you know like that's that's like that means that they've had their whole life with the internet whereas when we were kids mm. that i remember before there was an internet oh damn and if you wanted to know something you had to go to a library and use the dewey decimal system to find the book you were looking for yeah well you know either that or you could uh, look up its catalog card number and and but yeah well actually now that you just uh reminding of that that's exactly what i was doing i was using the dewey decimal system god damn it dewey you got me again <laughs> anyway good fu good fun uh the the thing is what are we talking about i've forgotten i've forgotten the <laughs> <laughs> that's the sign of a good conversation yeah all right uh, my mother would tell me that You've forgotten because what you were about to say was going to be a lie. Yeah, so full moon <laughs> recently. Uh, we were finishing off soccer and uh, uh, the, the boys turn around and say to me, uh, look, coach, it's a full moon. And like, behind me, there's this, yeah, just a beautiful big moon just up over, like the sun's not even down and there, there's the moon up. It was one of those nice experiences. It's not a bad, it's not a bad night for going out for a walk. It makes me think um, it's a bit of a shame that, people on the other side of the world aren't going to get a night time i'm not i'm not broaching this topic tonight <laughs> <laughs> not even doing it <laughs> oh to clarify i don't think the world's a globe he does yes well yeah uh, indeed it's that that is a discussion for i would imagine many episodes uh, why Fat Mole sits with the uh, long-standing historical human account of the world as being flat and, and doesn't agree with the globe. Whereas I have uh, always been comfortable with the globe model, although aware of the fact that ancestor cultures uh, had different uh, views of it, particularly around it being a flat space. The entire concept of the underworld or the netherworld and the heavens above and you know the, the, the hellish world below is consistent with a, an understanding of the world as being flat and, and permeates through, uh, you know, Semitic and Middle Eastern thought. Um, it's certainly the way it was understood. Even, uh, even, when try, even when defending the globe model, scientists will only go back as far as uh, to the Greeks to find examples of Greek mathematicians who, um, you know, uh, in, in their astrology or astronomy and... and uh, you know, I'm, I'm a scientist of no sort. I'm a theologian and a historian, so uh, forgive me in that matter. 
But in uh, measure, accounting for the movements of the bodies, the sun and the moon, they determined that the world had to be a globe in order for their mathematics to make sense. So Aristotle quotes, uh, you know, whoever the dude is on this, and I could dig up a quote for you out of Augustine, which he comes later, but for the Western tradition. Uh, but Augustine proposes three separate models for the Earth, one being flat, one being like tiered, and, and the other being a globe. So it was by no means necessary for many of the great achievements of the human world for people to subscribe to a globe model and in that sense when you're dealing with ancient texts particularly from uh, sort of the mid-east and um, western europe you have to be aware of the concept that when they speak of the world or in the greek the oikumenos they speak of what you know what we call the known worlds but they actually just speak about where they could reasonably travel in their own lifetime and they were aware that there were other lands. They just like existed outside of what for them was their world. Mm. So it's, it's difficult to go back and look into the past at these sources and make a neat interpretation. Cause we still have to make a lot of pre uh, take a lot of our presuppositions with us about what the significance of certain things is in any way. I've comfortably grown up in a world where the globe is the accepted model and frames my understanding of seasons and, uh, planets and galaxies and the rest of it, and um, and I'm not. I did too. And I'm not uncomfortable with it. But I am. Yeah, it's a valid view, uh, viewpoint out there. I can't agree with it. I'm. It's a globe for me. But but when, once we get into, yeah, no, and I think we should to do it justice because I want to get into theories of being and theories of knowledge to actually evaluate the alternate perspectives. Because it's easy enough to say, well, one of us is right and one of us is wrong. But is that is there a version of reality which, in which both which of both us be wrong. could could well, could be both be wrong? But could we both be right? Um, yes. One needs to get a little philosophical in that sense because we we need to ask ourselves some questions such as what is reality? What are we experiencing around us? Is is it a fixed and hard realm of matter, uh, or is it uh, a presentation of uh, thought which we project into the world around us? Is it a mix of those? Cogito ergo sum. Yeah, well, I'm not sure I can go all the way with him. Yes, but I think it's, for me, it's more like God thinks, therefore I am. Um, or more God speaks and therefore I am even. Um, yeah. Oh, that's that's if you're gonna if you're gonna quote Camille a couple of hundred years from now, quote that, folks. God speaks, therefore I am. Um, well, that's quoting the Bible. Yeah, but I'm still. I, I like that you've quoted the uh, famous Australian philosopher Des Cartes. You know, good old Des. Oh, Des. Desmond. I reckon. So I am, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, uh, when I was in Paris, I had this romantic notion I was going to buy. Was I in Paris or was I in Strasbourg? Anyway, I was in a French city. So I've got to say, I was disappointed with how small Paris was compared to like the other cities I'd been to. Because there's other kick-ass cities that are like as good as Paris, but without all the, as many tourists. Like Paris is overrated, people. I'm going to say there's lots of beautiful cities in France. Try Strasbourg, for example. Anyway. When I was there, I had this romantic notion. Apologies was, to the French. Uh, pardon moi. Oh, God damn. I'm not, I shouldn't even try. 
I spoke enough French in France for them to speak English. It was embarrassing. I practiced for months. I went over there and, uh, excuse moi uh, oh, God damn, I can't even remember a line of what I was trying to say. But anyway, <clears throat> better luck next Je time. M'appelle. <laughs> I had this romantic notion that I was going to buy a Bible in Strasbourg and I thought it would be easy enough to find. So I'm pulling up my phone and looking up the bookstores and and like the secondhand stores. I went to an Oxfam store, went through, uh, explained to them at the counter that I was looking for a Bible and they were, you know, oh, okay. I said, maybe there's one in there. I could, I found a 12 volume leather bound set of the works of uh, Rene Descartes. I mean, I would love to have bought those books, but because they were like just secondhand going, they were just sitting there on the shelf. Like, ah, to sit and read that. I mean, yeah, it, I I wanted the Bible so I could brush up on my French, and I still take it with me to church. It, but I couldn't find one. And and it, it was like five or six stores later, I eventually tracked down the one Christian bookstore left in the city. And uh, when I walked in there, the lady behind the counter was, uh, she was only too happy to lead me over um, to get a Bible. But I was presented with an interesting question when I went in there and uh, <clears throat> I had brushed up enough to, uh, I knew what I was saying in French at that time. Um, and she asked me if I wanted a Protestant or Catholic. And I'm like, oh, I've never gone to buy a Bible anywhere before and been asked, do I want a Protestant or a Catholic Bible? But in Strasbourg, yeah, I got given that choice. And I was, I was like, I'll have the Protestant one. And uh, yeah, I don't know. She it was like, I felt her seal of approval. Like I'd passed the code. Like she was like, oh, good. You know, and maybe I also felt like not many people had been walking in and buying Protestant Bibles from that shop. Uh, but I got me a little, what I call my little book of French poetry. And, um, yeah, it's great, man. I love reading along uh, when, you know, the pastor in church is, uh, he's reading his English version and I'm reading along in my French version because that does the work for me. You see, he's given me the translation and then I can use my knowledge of the language and I can, <laughs> and I, that's, I'm still at training wheels French. I'm tourist French, but it's, it's enough, you know, uh, hopefully, uh, it's better than no French. Wait, wait, Samuel, you'll do, uh, no, see, I can't even do it. Yeah. Well, there you go. <coughs> Tis true. Anyway, you've done some travels, Mole. Yeah, I, I did. I traveled when I was a kid, you know, a teenager, been through Europe. Must say that my favorite place was Holland. That's where my family originates from. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Did a few fun things there. I have a great uncle there that was a police officer, and he took me on the autobahn in a cop car. Wow, that, that would was be an cool. experience. So you went to Holland when you were a little boy? That was fun. How old were you? Yeah. From memory, I was around about 14. Did you poke your finger in any dikes? <laughs> no, I was a good little boy. I had no choice. I was with my grandparents, and you remember them? I do. I think they try not to remember me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they tried not to remember me, too. <laughs> uh, no, when I, when, I was, um, when I was a lad, uh, my earliest knowledge of Holland was a sketch on, I don't know if it was play school or something, but it was a little boy with a bucket, and he comes up to a, a dike and there's water coming out and he sticks his finger in it. And then when he sticks his finger in that hole, water comes out a different hole and the whole sketch is him eventually runs out of fingers. 
And I, I got caught up in a conundrum. I was really upset for this boy because I could see, like, no matter what he does, the problem just gets worse. Like, just bam, they're just dropping this shit on you in play school that, like, life's going to present problems for you that you can't fix. And, like, there's this little boy stuck there with his fingers, two fingers, and he's got his toe in the dike and he's looking around for help. And I'm like, come, someone come and help that. Mom, come and check this out. Come on. And she's like, what's going on? I'm like, this guy is... Like, it's there's no one to help him. She had to, like, counsel me and explain what a dyke was. And this is just a little story about counting and maths or something. And, like, like I'm drawing from it, uh, you know, some kind of ideological stimulation that is not meant to be embedded. I'm reading the presuppositions here, and I'm, like, four years old. I'm having a freak out about dykes. And then she's telling me about Holland and the land, which apparently didn't have enough land, so they had to steal some from the sea by building walls like at what point did that not sound crazy and like you know like, like seriously what kind of shit is, have the, the the dutch got themselves into with like the rising sea levels because um the whole place is called the lowlands isn't it the netherlands it's like i don't think it's very high the above the sea i'm pretty sure that you'd be getting some flood events happening in europe that it, where the, the rivers are just coming right up through their I've cities got, i've got a great idea we should wrap this up for now but don't worry, people. We will be back. Yeah, what are we? Uh, what are we agreeing on? We're thinking. We're thinking two a week is reasonable. I, th- I think it'd be we'll pushing it go. to try and do a daily. But we'll see what happens. Perhaps we'll just we'll fall into a. We'll create a habit. Sharpen up the format. That's. Yeah. And perhaps it might take on something that resembles decent <laughs> uh, well but but until then you can only apologize to the listeners for what they're left with which is you know we're we are, that's what that's us we are aiming for the resemblance of decency uh at the moment yeah you know this is the early early days early days this is what you get Hold on, I gotta have another smoke here. Hang on. Can't wrap it up yet, Raz. Just hang tight. It's gonna be another story come. I can feel it. Alright, it's happening. Alright. I'm going to relocate, so I'm gonna leave the studio and, and re enter from a different device. We'll see if that works. Try your wizardry. In the interim, I'm gonna introduce the story to you. It's story time. How is he getting in so quick? He's coming back already. All right. Okay. So behind the uh, built-up area uh, where I went to high school, uh, there was bushland which had been partially foraged by miners and foresters. But for the most part, it was just broad, sprawling paddocks going up um, very large hills and sprawling out over hundreds of kilometers behind that uh, since been developed but there was one ominous hill which stared down over the landscape uh, which was said to have powerful magic attached to it and amongst the local kids it was referred to as devil's hill alternately you might just call it satan's Now, once upon a time, I embarked uh, with uh, friends on an endeavour uh, to liberate the garden gnomes of the nearby 
suburb in which we lived. Uh, and so we forged a bold plan and formed uh, an, uh, an ideological group to front our efforts. And we were called the Gnome Liberation Front. Yes, and the goals of the Gnome Liberation Front were to free all garden gnomes from the tyranny of their servitude to garden owners and to provide them a safe and happy space where they could live out wild and free. <coughs> so on one particular night after strategically planning, uh, we'd already done the drive-bys and determined uh, which, uh, which properties were uh, most guilty. We crafted ransom notes. Uh, well, actually, they weren't ransom notes. They were declarations of independence by the gnomes. We left them on the doorsteps of the several houses that we visited, and we pulled up, and uh, we got from uh, at least five different homes a bevy of... Oh, it was in surplus of about 35 garden gnomes. It was such a swag. And then such was our effort that we decided... Uh, well, no, I think I ordained that it was necessary to carry them to the top of Satan's Hill uh, and to set them up in a circle where they could sing and be happy, much like the ending of an Asterix comic or a Smurfs episode. Uh, so that same night, we drove all the way out to that particular location and uh, we climbed... We must have had to climb more than once to get all of the gnomes up there because, uh, as I said, there was a, a numerous amount. In any case, we got ourselves to the top of that hill and set them up and there they went. Do you recall that, Molly? The Gnome Liberation the GLA. Oh, the, the Gnome, Gnome Liberation, Liberation Army. I, re I recall oh, it right. differently. It was the Gnome Liberation Army. I believe Army. You're that right. we, we were. Yes, yes. And we. Well, well you, would, you would know. The amount of effort that we put. Well, the amount on of another. We put into planning. The recon that we did was. Probably it w insane. It was the perfect crime. Uh, however, however, a some years later, maybe a couple of years later, I returned there. I was at some riotous event. Uh, you know, well, it was one of those parties that I described earlier amongst our, um, you know, our generation of uh, ill-cared-for uh, kids. And I, I, I could have been 17 or or 18 at this stage, and uh, I ran into a friend, and somehow me and him left the party, a couple of girls in the back of the car. I think they were intent to find a nice country road to do some canoodling. No one let me in on this plan, so the closer we got to Devil's Hill, I think it was me who suggested we go there in the first place, uh, the more intent I was that I was going to go up and visit the gnomes. When we got there and it was dark and I was suggesting to my friend and well they're all my friends but you know me mate and the two girls we had with us yeah look look now let's we just climb through that fence and then go up through the scrub for about you know 400 meters on a rise and we'll get to the top of the hill and then we'll have a sesh well that's what i declared no one was interested in coming with me uh, so lo and behold i had to go by myself and i did on that journey up through the dark up to the top of what's very nearly a mountain uh to the top of satan's hill and when i got there i sat down about where the gnomes were it was dark, so I couldn't really see, but I could feel them around me. And uh, and then uh, I pulled out a pipe and I started smoking. And then I could feel from the horizon behind me, almost, you know, like a reverse sunrise, like a, 
a rising blackness, a darkness reaching out over the horizon towards me, an ominous, threatening presence coming out over the land. And all that land behind me was undeveloped bushland at that time. Just something like a long, foreboding, evil presence coming towards me. And it's almost as if I could hear it. It's, uh, it's aura speaking to me and it was grumbling and roaring at me. Now you're fucked. And I just jumped from the ground and started sprinting down the hill. Um, and in the dark, uh, and, and then looking down to the bottom of the hill, I could see my friend who had driven the car and taken me from the party standing at the bottom of the hill, but he was superimposed like he was completely in daylight. Um, like he was, it was night, everything was dark, but he's standing there in daylight. And because he's standing there in daylight down at the ground level, I had a reference point as I'm coming down the hill for where the ground was receding underneath me. But at one point I ran straight into a barbed wire fence, toppled straight over and it tore my, um, it tore my pants open and actually cut my leg, got up. And when I got up, I couldn't see him down there anymore, but I was close enough to the bottom to bolt down, ran down the road, jumped the fence, ran towards the car, jumped in and said, drive, drive, drive. And they're like, what? What's wrong? And he's freaking out, starting the car and it's too long. So I jumped out of the car and ran down the road and said, Can you pick me up. And I sprinted down the road just to get away from whatever, whatever I had experienced on the top of that hill. It was, uh, I can't even account for what that was um, because, um, you know, I, gosh, I was only 17 years old um, and and the best I'd had is I think I'd had one cone that night at a party and that was going to be my second one. So I wasn't under the influence of anything. This was an experience I had pretty well um, stone cold sober. Uh, so yeah, that, uh, that figure in light that I saw at the bottom of the hill um, and that terrible presence that I felt at the top, strange. But some years after that, I returned in daylight uh, because I went about on a quest, much like you, you likened it to my name is Earl. Uh, once I um, once I turned 18 and I, I came clean um, and got really serious about the gospel and, uh, and then set about um, righting some of the wrongs that I'd done, and I intended to go to the top of Satan's Hill, find these gnomes, and return them at least i couldn't return them to every address because i couldn't remember every address but i could remember the one house that it had the most you know that we'd probably taken at least half of them from and i thought it would be fair to return them all to that address uh, with an apology um but I, I couldn't find them up there i wandered up and down and up and down and they were nowhere to be found and i was sure of the spot and then when i came down um i'd been up there so long the police had been coming past and had seen um i don't know I reported that someone had been up there. It was private property. Anyway, it turns out when they questioned me that there was a warrant out for my arrest um, because uh, one of our good mates had used my name when he'd been caught, I don't know, riding a bike or something on a rail platform. And, uh, you know, he'd given my name and an address I'd formerly lived at and the ticket got sent to me, never received it. And it turned into a warrant for my arrest. Um, so, yeah, I got arrested and driven yeah, good down mates. to down to the cop shop. But when I explained my predicament to the sergeant at the station, he kind of just got this wry grin on his face. And, uh, um, you know, and I said, look, I, as far as this railway ticket thing goes, man, look, what are we talking about? Like it's, I've just got to pay this fine and then I can go. 
And he's like, well, that's essentially it. I said, well, you know, well, just let me go and get some money out and I'll just pay it. So they, they gave me my wallet and let me go down the street and got my money out, came and paid the fine. And there was my big arrest. Um, but I was perplexed and went and asked some friends about, had they heard anything about what happened to the gnomes up on top of Satan's Hill? And I heard a story uh, through a friend of mine. She said a lady from her church had found a ring of sorceress gnomes arranged. And apparently they were all facing down, casting a curse on their church. And so she smote them and broke them into rubble. She broke the gnomes, man. All of them were destroyed. She smashed them up with like a hammer. Um, you know, and so that so we liberated we, we liberated the gnomes, and they lived for years. They lived for years in freedom until they came and got wiped out by this vicious Christian lady with a hammer. You know, it's like a mix oh. of like Nordic. It's like Thor's revenge or something on the gnomes. So yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't able to right that wrong. Um, and you know, even though I prayed for God's forgiveness for you know my time i mean we've all got a it's probably a common thing amongst you know ex-servicemen who've got a military history you know we signed up for the gnome liberation army thinking that you know we believed in something you know we were young and just just trying to live out our ideals and shit got a bit heavy there and you know like we succeeded on our mission but then there's these long-reaching consequences in the community i'd say that we won the battle for the ground but not for the hearts and minds you know that's what we I'm won the battle, but not the war. Unfortunately, because all those little gnomish bastards got wiped out. And uh, uh, I suppose one day we'll get to why I even ever became the gnome myself. But definitely it was because I was the gnome that I, it was incumbent on me to free all gnomes. Yes. If not It was me, definitely an ep epic adventure. It was. Yeah, it was... Uh, you know, and that's a three-parter, that one. But in any case, yeah, Satan's Hill is still there. It still exists. It's been built in by, there's houses built right up close to it and underneath it now. And I can't imagine living there that close to that ominous presence, that place. However, oh, that should be a story for another day. But there was one wondrous day when it was six of us had uh, the day off school and we marched to the top of Satan's Hill and we found an old Weybridge there and it had like a, uh, a manhole that went down into a pit underneath and about five of us were able to climb in there and had a Dutch oven and sealed ourselves up inside this um, th this pit. That sounds safe. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't <laughs> safe and it was, and one of them, one of them was kind of freaking out, but we were like, just be chill, man. Just be chill. You know, <laughs> so, yeah, we could, yes, we could have been all five of us asphyxiated in there. Um, but instead, uh, we, uh, we, we got, let me guess, tasty. you survived. Oh, we survived. <laughs> I survived that. <coughs> yeah. But, uh, oh, I, I mean, I suppose for the adventurers, those, those kind of experiences are still out there, but, um, I don't know. I just, it's certainly, I haven't seen my kids do. I mean, I've warned them off of a lot of the stupid things that I did. You, 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 you can't have done all the stupid things I did and not have a range of stories that kind of convince your kids to try a different path. Uh, you know, there's no point. Of yeah, definitely. But um, yeah, well, that's it. Learn from my mistakes. Well, they, they say that a smart man learns from his mistakes, 
and a smarter man learns from someone else's. Yeah, well, I'd like to think I'm the smarter man, but why have I made so many mistakes, you know? Um, I've, I've honestly, I've, one of the things that used to get drilled into me when I was being disciplined as a child was, you can do things the easy way or the hard way, and you seem to always pick the hard way, uh, is what I was told. And maybe I was told that too much because it's uh, it's become somewhat true. If there's a, a more difficult way of going about a task, that tends to be the way that I'll approach it. Um, Me too. I seem to I seem to be more comfortable in the deep end. Yeah, well, you know, that's where you grow. That's where growth happens. And uh, it's my yeah. my hope is invested in in this conversation uh, that we're having, which stretches out uh, that that we experience growth and uh, along with our listeners too. You know, um, I'm really putting it out there for people to come and join yeah. us. I'm looking forward to having guests come in because there isn't that will be amusing. Yeah, there isn't a topic that we can't talk to um, uh, from our balanced philosophical perspective. Um, we offset each other, uh, even on that example of uh, the uh, globe versus flat earth model, where we represent a range of perspectives, uh, and yet uh, we're able to have uh, positive and warm discourse um, despite holding um, uh, different presuppositions. That's the basis of any good Polar conversation. Opposites. Yeah. Yeah. Well. So. Uh, which is to say that here in the sesh, it is a safe conversational space, guys, and we're really looking forward to having some guests making you feel welcome and drawing on your stories. We talk all things life, stories uh, from the past, guesses uh, of the future, and all of the abstract uh, content, uh, which just makes for a good conversation. That's what we're really all about here. A good talk at the sesh. Really keen on hearing <laughs> That, my boy. And the nine.